right, so thank you guys both so much for coming on WSUM Student Radio. As much as you both feel comfortable, could you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sure. I'm Chief Kristen Roman. I am Associate Vice Chancellor and Chief of Police for the University Police Department. And I'm Argyle Wade, the Interim Dean of Students. All right, much thanks. Thank you guys so much for coming on the WSUM News Hour. We're both happy to have you. And today we are going to be discussing the new policy protest response guidelines that was released by the university earlier this September. So for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with the University of Wisconsin's protest policy guidelines, what do the guidelines communicate to protesters? Well, what we've tried to do really is uh, codify policies and an approach and philosophy that the university has undertaken actually for some time. Um, there's there's really uh, not uh, you know new content per se, uh, other than uh, when the regents policy was introduced, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, what we tried to do with the, the document is to gather up in one place as a point of reference uh, what information we could uh, that was most useful that could be referenced easily for students, faculty, event organizers about what our philosophy uh, is on campus when it, uh, you know, when it comes to protests, demonstrations, uh, First Amendment expressions. Uh, so the document, you know, starts with what the purpose of the document itself is, moves into a little bit of our philosophy uh, as a campus, and then really spends some time delineating uh, what uh, the rights and responsibilities are of all of the stakeholders uh, in these processes, from from students to organizers to how uh, one goes about securing the venue and selecting the appropriate venue, and then also uh, you know how we talk about it as a campus and work together collaboratively to safely facilitate uh, these types of events. Okay. So then, why did the university feel it necessary to release these policy guidelines now? What was the series of events that led to these guidelines being codified the way you described? Well, I, I can start with uh, you know, my arrival on campus almost two years ago, uh, shortly after I arrived in, in January of 2017, as I was uh, attempting to kind of get to know the landscape and uh, and work with uh, our partners, particularly uh, uh, with uh, then Dean of Students, uh, Lori Berkwam and, and her folks, uh, you know, I was asking questions about how do we work together to uh, facilitate these kinds of events. At that same time, of course, we were seeing and beginning to see across the country on other campuses, culminating uh, later that year in 17, uh, in the summer uh, with Charlottesville, uh, you know, we were, we were beginning to see uh, the impact of uh, some of the more controversial topics that campuses, uh, you, you know, were, were uh, grappling with. In, in with speakers such as Milo Yiannopoulos in Berkeley and other events across the country, correct? A absolutely. And, and uh, prior to, to my arrival uh, on campus, uh, you know, I think Ben Shapiro also uh, w was on campus. And so... Uh, on our own campus, and there were some things that we looked at in how we came together around that particular uh, event that, of course, as I said, kind of as a catalyst for me stepping into this role, uh, wanting to take a look at how we approach these uh, together. 
uh, already in progress, of course. I inherited these discussions that were already ongoing. So it's not that my arrival set those into motion, uh, but certainly I think it helped build some momentum uh, as I was I was kind of taking hold of that and wanting to, to uh, look at ways that we could uh, work together to facilitate those events. So I think the timing uh, has to do a little bit uh, with some of the change in leadership, but also with what we were seeing across the country and some of those key events that you pointed to. And really for, for me, speaking for myself, but I, you know, I, I know in talking with uh, uh, Dean Wade and, and others in his office and across campus, the approach uh, that I think makes the most sense is for us to all have these discussions before we're actually dealing with those events that can be emotionally charged. So I thought it was important, uh, as I know uh, Dean Wade does as well, uh, for us to be engaging stakeholders, uh, codifying and communicating out as clearly and as transparently as possible what our approach is, what our expectations are, sort of what are the rules of engagement so that there aren't those questions that are flying in, in, at the time of the event or post-event when people are sort of looking back and uh, evaluating our response. Okay, I'd like to talk a, a little bit more about the process of crafting the original legislation and then the policy guidelines. Do you feel that and Dean Wade, feel free to jump in on this as well. Do you feel that the university felt some pressure to better define their guidelines from the legislature, as, from, the, from the state legislature, as they were moving similar legislation at the time? You know, I think the question that came up when, uh, in particular, I would focus more on the Board of Regents policy, um, that, you know, it raised questions about, from students, faculty, and staff about if they're, um, is this new Regents policy that kind of talks about behavior on campus related to freedom of expression, what are the boundaries and how do we stay, um, you know, within those? Uh, because the Regents policy was, was pretty broad. And so I, I definitely heard additional requests and questions and curiosity about that at that point. All right. So moving forward, the policy is based upon defining and explaining to students their rights in context, but some of the language in the policy is still a little bit vague, maybe by necessity, but oftentimes the behavior is discussed in terms of like, quote, likely disrupt, uh, disruptive or, quote, likely non-disruptive, end quote. And then it later discusses that campus administration, UWPD, and student affairs staff will have responsibility for the campus's response to a protest or demonstration. So could you elaborate on the process and standards that these groups will use to distinguish between acceptable and disruptive protests? Sure. I think maybe if I could just interject before we get into that, you know, I think it's important, as we touched upon earlier, to clarify is students' rights, uh, faculty, staff's rights to exercise their freedom of expression um, really have not changed by the production of this document and these guidelines. I think, as Chief Roman had alluded to, I think it actually provides us more clarification about uh, kind of what we're doing on campus and how we're trying to, to address situations where you, there's different points of view. I mean, one of the things that's really baked into, I think, the DNA of our campus is that there are multiple uh, perceptions on on all issues that we kind of face. Really, the most complex issues tend to have lots of different perspectives, and we want to still have that. We want to still have people to be aware that it's fine to protest, but what's not okay is to disrupt somebody else's speech or create an unsafe environment. And I think that's really the core and the heart of what we're trying to get across with this. 
Um, I think it is good to get into some of the details about how we're going to do it, but I just want to make sure that uh, your listeners understand that uh, we really are still trying to instill people's ability to still kind of express where they're at with a, with a different point of view. Okay. And, and if, 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 go sorry, ahead. I, I just wanted to sort of uh, piggyback on that uh, because when we're talking about trying to capture all of the possible what-ifs, uh, you know, in a document like this, uh, we intentionally called it, uh, you know, referred to it and titled it as guidelines uh, and procedures that we currently have in place and have had in place because this is a living process. And certainly this document is, um, you know, it's in its current state, but as we learn, as we grow, as things change uh, on our campus, you know, we'll be adjusting that, that document. We can we can't obviously capture uh, all of the the potential uh, ways that that these situations uh, will unfold, and mm-hmm. so we really try to um, you know provide some guidance, provide some examples, understanding that it's not all inclusive, uh, you, you know, and 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 that it can't be. Indeed, which is, I guess, maybe seemingly why a lot of the behavior is discussed in kind of vague terms, to allow for those uncertainties and unexpected events that may come up in practice. But to push back on that a little bit, there's a theory in political science that the more that you define a right, the more you simultaneously restrict the right itself. Because if a right is governed by norms and not by specific definitions or legislation, there's a lot more freedom to it. Whereas instead, if the right is kind of defined into a corner and maybe an effort to explain it, you're perhaps inherently restricting its parameters. So do you think that although it wasn't the university's goal to limit or change student rights by defining their parameters, it may have inherently happened anyway? Well, the question, interestingly, would be for me, off your kind of the idea you're presenting is whose norms are being used then? And I think that's where I often run into, you know, the challenging conversations of what one person thinks is okay and another person doesn't and how they express themselves or think they can, uh, you know, inhibit somebody else's expression. I think what we're trying to get at the core of this document is setting some general guidelines so that there is at least some place to start that conversation versus uh, everybody just gets to kind of decide how they want to do it themselves, which tends to be where we run into problems. Okay. Um, Chief Rowan, would you like to add anything on that or... No, I mean, I think your your question is interesting, uh, to be sure, and, and I agree with what uh, Dean Wade has said in terms of what we endeavor to, to do, and that th- there has to be some, I believe there has to be some place to start uh, where we come together, we're grounded in at least this this particular understanding, and then from there the conversations can evolve. Uh, so, so I would agree with, you know, with, uh, with Dean Wade's um, uh, response uh, on that. I also think it's about finding that balance, right? Mm-hmm. How do we um, communicate uh, and and really provide information and education on this particular issue, uh, and and make sure that we're, you know, from a police department standpoint, I, I want I want our our students and our staff and faculty to understand where we're coming from, what we're trying to accomplish, where the where we are able to uh, assist and where we're not, 
what expectations uh, we have of ourselves and certainly be responsive to the expectations that uh, our community has of us. So I need to and want to have those those conversations. Um, and so if in the process of doing that, uh, as as you posit, there, there may be some adverse impact, uh, I think that's necessary and we need to sort of still have the conversations and, and work through that so that we can strike that balance. All right. Well, then to take it back to a bit of an earlier question and talking about those uncertainties, could you guys elaborate on the process that um, the groups like Campus Administration, UWPD, and Student Affairs will use to determine if protest behavior is disruptive or non-disruptive? Really, I think the document lays out kind of there's three components to a disruption, and this is the general way we'd approach trying to make that assessment. Also, always assuming that, you know, it's a dynamic situation in any situation generally we're trying to assess this as we're going along. So that's why it's hard to strike hard and fast kind of standards. But the, the, the components tend to be when a behavior occurs and we tend to want it to be near or around the, during the time of the event that's happening. Um, it's hard to, you know, obviously impact is a lot different when it's two weeks before or two weeks after or a month after an event. So we really want it to be uh, con kind of connected to the timing of an event that occurs on our campus. The second thing, uh, kind of component is where the behavior occurs, and that tends to be um, connected to university-run or authorized activities, and those can happen in a variety of places. Uh, it's a big campus. Uh, there's a lot of events that happen on our campus, uh, but they need to be one sponsored by the university or some component of the university uh, in a venue the university works with, a facility or an on-campus space, even, it, even being outdoors, uh, it's reservable or a space that the university might reserve in another part uh, of the city, state, or world that is kind of working with an authorized activity for the university. And then the third component is how that how did this behavior shows up, how it may disrupt uh, somebody's inability to express themselves. And I think we're looking at, there is really what we're looking at, what's the significance of the impact on other people who are participating in that event. And can they, those things be mitigated? I think oftentimes we look to try to ask somebody, hey, would you mind, you know, stop doing that because it's making it so that other people can't participate in this. We're looking to try to uh, mitigate any kind of disruption in the least invasive ways possible uh, and hoping that those people will comply and that way we can kind of continue on. And we're looking for some consistency. If people set up an event, they let, put the rules out there and say, here's kind of how it's going to be work speaker's not going to take questions or the speaker will take questions at the end. Uh, we have to kind of uh, make sure that if that's how it's been set up, that we people who are coming to see that event participate in it, uh, kind of behave uh, along those standards uh, because uh, that is kind of what the event organizers have, have kind of planned. So likely that's kind of how we would approach it. We would be looking at those three components, and that was where Chief Roman staff and my staff would be kind of continually just trying to figure out, are we still within bounds here and can this event continue to go on and how do we make sure if there's any kind of behaviors that we can figure out a way to try to help that person, you know, stay in the event and participate but not disturb somebody else. And, and really, absent any immediate uh, safety threat that might uh, be presented by some disruptive behavior, uh, as Dean Wade said, you know, our approach, and we reference it uh, very clearly in, in the document uh, is that our approach will be to 
work with those individuals at the time that it's occurring and and you know navigate that and work through that at the time uh, there isn't uh, again unless there's some immediate safety concern where some immediate kind of intervention would be required uh, our process as we've outlined really does allow for our reaching out uh, having uh, those brief conversations at the time to uh, redirect or reshape behavior that that may be problematic I mean, we've even gone so far as to contact, you know, people say, hey, we've heard you're planning a disruption. Can we talk about, or a protest, can we talk about the ways we can, you can do that so that we're planning that with you, just like the event's being planned. Let's also talk about, you know, how if there's a different point of view, that gets expressed. That's, that's what we like to do so that everybody gets their chance to deal with uh, an issue and having their voice heard. All right. Now, moving on, I'd like to address some of the controversy surrounding these guidelines and underlying policy. And, of course, the obvious point in there is many students have criticized the policy as they claim that it might enable hateful speech on campus. So what would you want to tell students who are afraid that this policy will enable, enable hateful speech on campus? Yeah, I would say that this, that this has not changed the dynamic uh, of our campus and the, and the ability for people to express themselves. Uh, the First Amendment it has been, is the standard by which we uh, have always used on our campus and as a state public uh, entity, uh, we are bound by that. And the speech that was able to be uh, communicated before uh, this policy and these guidelines uh, still exists after. There's, no, there's been no change to that regard in regards to the First Amendment or abilities to express themselves. Okay, well, on the First Amendment, do you think the policy might be contradictory in a way as it aims to protect one type of free speech by limiting another? Well, the First Amendment doesn't allow somebody to disrupt somebody else's speech. There, are, there, there is not that component to the First Amendment. I'm not, and I don't, certainly don't want to you know, put myself out there as a First Amendment scholar, uh, but it is pretty clear that it doesn't guarantee the right to say anything at any time or any place. What we try to do is figure out if there are people who have differing points of view, how can those voices be heard uh, both together, maybe in the same place, maybe not, but at least giving each group the opportunity to have that voice is, is really what we're trying to go for as a campus. And so, you know, we couldn't limit speech before this, uh, this guidelines, and we're not looking to limit speech after these guidelines were established either. Okay. Um... Is there anything else that you guys would like to add or finish up with? No, I, I mean, I, what, I would, what I would add is that, uh, just to kind of reiterate, that this, is, uh, this document uh, in and of itself is, is really a, a living document. And uh, what I hope we've, we've accomplished is, um, you know, to provide that starting point uh, to create at least the starting point for the understandings around how how we will approach uh, this issue on our campus, uh, but also to encourage the ongoing dialogue uh, of which we should all be a part uh, as we move forward and uh, and and look at ways um, you know to to put this into action. I think I could add one thing that you know you maybe at least were kind of getting at with the question you'd asked a minute ago was you know the impact of free speech on people can be challenging. So I don't want to diminish or take away uh, the idea that 
what when somebody gets to express themselves, they may say things that are hurtful, that are vile, that challenge um, kind of people's uh, feelings about what's appropriate. That is all free and protected. I mean, we're not, you know, move, I'm not talking about things that are unprotected, um, that are like threats uh, and threats to people's safety and directed kind of threats. Um, but I certainly know there's an impact of speech on people on our campus, and we definitely want to try to address that in parallel because uh, we, we want an environment on our campus that's welcoming for everybody who chooses to be here. Uh, at the same time, I can't take away or we can't diminish people's ability to hold an opinion. So I think that's sometimes where the, the real challenge comes with this, these kind of conversations is you can, you can recognize the right for somebody to say something, but you also maybe see that there's a really negative impact on another person. How do you, how do you balance those two? And that's a, it's a very difficult issue for us and for many campuses. Okay. Um, thank you guys both for so much for coming on WSUM Student Radio. We really appreciate your time. And any time you'd like to call in the studio, feel free. Thank you for having us on. Yes, oh, thank you very much. Pleasure.